0: 1 Timothy 6, 6-10 through 10. With Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take anything out of the world. And if we have food and clothing, we, think we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root re- Evils, and through this craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you all here today. Have you ever wanted more money? Maybe you found the perfect apartment, and it was just out of your price range or let's be honest, maybe it was way out of your price range and you thought, if only I had more money. Maybe your dream vacation is just out of reach and you think, if only I had more money. Or maybe you wish that you could go out to eat without having to consider the prices on the menu. If only I had more money. Or maybe you can identify with this. As Peter just mentioned, uh, my wife and I, we have a 10-month-old son, and we're hoping to adopt a second kid soon. And tell you what, there's nothing like budgeting for a family to make you think, if only I had more money. Our passage for today is fundamentally a warning. It's a warning against the desire to be rich. And this is an important warning for all of us here today. And here's why. Because to one degree or another, we all have this desire to be rich. And maybe you're thinking, "Uh, I don't know, I don't really desire to be rich. I just want a little bit more. But look at what the Apostle Paul says is the opposite of the desire to be rich. It's in verse 8. Take a look. It says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That's a radical statement. If we have food and clothing, that's it. With these, we will be content. It's not necessarily wrong to enjoy an expensive meal or to take your dream vacation. In fact, later in this passage, we read that God richly blesses us with everything to enjoy. But here's the question. If you never had those things, would you be content? If all you had were the clothes you're wearing now and just enough food for the day, would you be content or would you think, if only I had more money? To one degree or another, we all fall prey to this desire to be rich. And so it's important that we heed the warning of this passage. And here it is. This is the main point of this passage, so listen carefully. The desire to be rich leads to ruin. This is a very serious warning. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the warning and then the antidote. The warning and then the antidote. So first, the warning. It's in verse 9. Take a look. This is the main point of this passage. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's no shortage of stories that illustrate this truth. Take, for example, Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos. You might be familiar with her story. When she was just nine years old, she told her family that she was determined to become a billionaire. And just 21 years later, her dream became a reality. In 2014, she became the world's youngest self-made female billionaire, worth $4.5 billion. But just one year later, it all came crashing down. In an attempt to realize this dream of becoming a billionaire, she had lied about the accuracy of her company's technology. By 2018, her company had collapsed, and earlier this year she was convicted of four counts of fraud. According to Forbes, her net worth is now zero dollars. Her desire to be rich led to ruin. And notice how in this verse there is a progression. It starts with desire, but that desire leads to temptation, and that temptation leads to a snare, and that snare leads to senseless and harmful desires, and those harmful desires lead to ruin. And imagine that's exactly how it happened for Elizabeth Holmes. It started with a seemingly innocent desire of a nine-year-old to become a billionaire. I'm sure her family probably thought it was cute or maybe admired her ambition. But that desire led to a temptation to lie about her company's technology. And when she started lying, she got caught in a snare. I'm sure it felt like the only way out was to continue to lie, hoping that the technology would catch up before she was exposed. And so this snare then led to senseless and harmful desires to continue to lie until one day she was plunged into ruin. What started with a desire led to ruin. And the same thing can easily happen to us. Even if we weren't determined to become a billionaire when we were nine years old, our hearts are just as susceptible to this desire to be rich. In fact, when we think it can't happen to us, that's when we're really in danger. Ruin doesn't happen overnight. What starts with a seemingly innocent, small desire for just a little bit more leads to temptation. And that can get us caught in a snare until, without realizing it, before we know it, we're plunged into ruin. I'm sure Elizabeth Holmes didn't expect it would happen to her. We don't expect it'll happen to us either. But this passage warns us that the desire to be rich is a dangerous thing. It leads to ruin. And this passage isn't just a warning against ruin in this life. Some, like Elizabeth Holmes, desire to be rich, and it leads to their very public downfall. But many more who desire to be rich seem to suffer no consequence at all. They get richer and richer, maybe even abuse their wealth, or use it to oppress others. But this isn't just a warning for this life. Look again at the end of verse 9. The Greek words here are translated as ruin and destruction are words that usually denote spiritual ruin and eternal destruction. So this passage warns us that even if we escape ruin in this life, the desire to be rich left unchecked leads to our eternal ruin. And verse 10 tells us why. Take a look says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And here's why this desire leads to eternal ruin. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The desire to be rich leads to eternal ruin because it leads us to wander from God. And why does it lead us to wander from God? Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Did you know that you can change the color of a flower? With certain light-colored flowers, you can change it to become any color you want. It's simple. Maybe you remember doing this in elementary school. All you do is you place a flower in water, you add a few drops of food coloring, and within a few hours, the flower absorbs that new color. It soaks up the colored water through the stem, and it changes the flower. Now, that's a stem, not exactly a root, like in our passage for today. But the principle is the same. The root determines what the flower becomes. If it's soaking up red dye, it becomes red. If it's soaking up yellow dye, it becomes yellow. And here's how this applies to you. Your root determines what you become. If your root is absorbing a love of money, if your soul is always crying out, if only I had more money, that determines whom you become. You're in danger of becoming filled with all kinds of evil and wandering from your faith. Why? Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now, what does that phrase mean? It doesn't mean that the love of money is the root of every single evil thing. There's plenty of other roots of evil in our hearts, too, like selfishness and pride. What it means is that the love of money is a root of all sorts of categories of sin. So, for example, we can easily see how a love for money can lead to us stealing, breaking the Eighth Commandment. And we can see how a love for money could lead to us breaking the Tenth Commandment, do not envy. We envy that luxurious apartment or that lavish vacation our friend took last week. But a love for money can lead to all sorts of other kinds of sins, too. For one, a love for money can lead to us breaking the Fourth Commandment. Instead of making Sundays a day of rest, we make Sundays a day to catch up on our work, or to get a head start on the week. Sometimes the reason why we break the Sabbath is that we love making money. And a love for money can also lead to us breaking the fifth commandment: honor your father and mother. When God commanded us to honor our father and mother, it was a synecdoche for all of our earthly relationships, where to show honor to all of our friends, family, neighbors, etc. And a love for money can easily lead to us breaking that commandment. Here's how, I'm sure you've seen it before. We can find ourselves working more and more while neglecting our family and friends. The love for money could also lead to us breaking the ninth commandment, do not lie. We can be tempted to embellish our resume or to exaggerate our performance on a project in order to get a raise. But most importantly, A love for money can lead to us breaking the first commandment, to have no other gods before the Lord. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We need to heed this warning against the desire to be rich. Because a love for money can lead us astray from God. It can cause us to sin against others and against God. And maybe slowly but surely, maybe without even noticing it, our hearts drift further and further away from God. The desire to be rich leads to ruin. What started with nine-year-old Elizabeth Holmes' seemingly innocent desire to become a billionaire led to her ruin. What starts as a seemingly innocent desire in our hearts for just a little bit more can get us caught in a snare and eventually plunge us into ruin. So that's the warning of this passage. But graciously, God has given us not only a warning here, but also the antidote. He tells us how we can avoid this desire to be rich and the ruin that follows. It's in verse 6. Take a look. But godliness with contentment is great gain. The antidote to the desire to be rich is to be content. And this really is a desirable thing. I think we would all love to feel content. We don't like feeling like we need more. We would love to feel like we have everything we need, to be content with what we have. I mean, imagine if instead of dwelling on what you don't have, you could say, I have enough. Imagine how much less anxious you'd feel. Imagine how much easier you could breathe. So what's the secret? How can we become content? I'm glad you asked. This passage gives us two keys to contentment, and that's what we'll spend the rest of our time looking at. So first, in verse 7, we see the first key to contentment. And here it is. The first key to contentment is to reorient your perspective. To reorient your perspective. Take a look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. This verse reorients our perspective. How? by reminding us that this life is not all there is, that there's something beyond it, something eternal, and our earthly riches won't follow us there. See, if we think only about the here and now, then it makes sense to seek earthly wealth. If this life is all there is, then absolutely, make as much money as you can so you can afford that apartment, so that you can go on that vacation, so you never even have to think about money. But if there is a life beyond this one, that reorients our perspective. It changes our focus from temporary, earthly wealth to true, lasting wealth. When we contemplate seeing God face to face, beholding His glory, and receiving blessing beyond comprehension. And suddenly, earthly wealth doesn't seem so significant. It's petty compared to what's in store. It becomes almost an afterthought. We become far less concerned with wealth in this age because we're far more concerned with the treasure promised us in the next. And so we no longer say, if only I had more money. Instead, we say, if only I have Christ. If only I can share in his resurrection and behold his glory. If only I have Christ. The first key to contentment is to reorient our perspective. And now this, of course, is easier said than done. Because here's the problem. There are always things trying to orient our perspective back to earthly things. The things we watch, the feeds we scroll through, the people we know, these things all influence us. I mean, when I watch Dream Home Makeover, do I leave feeling more content? Not usually. Sometimes the explicit goal of what we consume is to make us feel discontent. Buy this, then you'll be happy. There are always things trying to drag our perspective down to earthly things. It's a struggle to reorient our perspective. So how do we overcome this? We overcome this through the ordinary ways God has given us to grow in our faith. When we worship together on Sunday morning like this, that reorients our perspective. When we pray and meditate on scripture during the week, that reorients our perspective. God uses these ordinary means to slowly but surely transform our hearts to cry out, if only I have Christ. Now, here's a question. Since we're no longer focused on earthly wealth, does that mean that we should all quit our jobs tomorrow and take a vow of poverty? I don't think so. But it does change how we work. It means that we work with eternity in view. Instead of working for earthly riches, we work for the glory of God and for the good of others. And that could change your everyday life in big and small ways. Here's one big way it could change your everyday life. When you no longer work in order to become rich, but from a place of contentment. Maybe that frees you up to consider taking a job that pays less. Something that pays less, but that you find more fulfilling or more in line with your values. Or here's another big way it could change your everyday life. Maybe your family needs you, and you decide to take a step back from your career in order to spend more time with them. But this new motivation for work also affects the small things in our day-to-day life. If you work for the glory of God, maybe you stay at your current job, but you advocate for your values, even when it costs you. If you work for the good of others, maybe you take on that project that no one else wants to do, even when you know it will go unnoticed by your boss. So here's where we're at. This passage warns us that the desire to be rich leads to ruin. The antidote is to be content. And the first key to contentment is to reorient your perspective to what is beyond this life. So let's look now at the second key to contentment. Here it is. The second key to contentment is to redefine your goal. To redefine your goal. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, and I remember when I was in middle school and I started mowing neighbor's lawns for money. I suddenly had this disposable income that I never had before. Maybe you remember what that was like. It was great. And I don't know how you chose to spend your first paycheck But one of the ways I chose to spend this newfound money was by affording my brother and myself a fun Friday night. So I would rent us a video game, and I would buy a massive bag of gummy worms for us to devour while we played. It was a blast. But here's the thing. It quickly became normal. No longer felt like a treat. It just felt ordinary. And that's the problem. The problem is that the moment we start spending more on luxury and convenience, we get used to it. So that vacation that we went on or that meal that we enjoyed felt like a luxury before, but now it just feels ordinary. There's a name for this. It's called lifestyle creep. Or if you speak to a sociologist, they might call it the hedonic treadmill. Harvard Business School professor Arthur Brooks says it like this, no matter how fast we run, we never arrive. See, our desire for more isn't like running from the bottom of Central Park to the top. It's like a treadmill that we never catch up with. And I don't know about you, but I've seen this in my own life. Because see, we think that the key to contentment is to reach a certain goal. If I just had dot, 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 then I'd be content. But the truth is that as soon as we reach that goal, we quickly become discontent again. We're never content because we don't so much want a certain lifestyle as we want more. The refrain never ends. If only I had more money. Or in the words of 19th century philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, wealth is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. This passage warns us that you'll never be content that way. You'll never catch up. You can't get to the end of a treadmill. But verse 8 shows us how we can be content. Look at how it defines the goal for contentment. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. The second key to contentment is to redefine your goal. It's not about how much money you make or don't make. It's about redefining your goal. We must be content with food and clothing. And this is related to the first key to contentment. Here's how. When we reorient our perspective to what is beyond this life, then we can be content if all we have is food and clothes. Because these other things don't matter so much. Our gaze is set on something of far greater worth. If we have God, and we can be content with food and clothing. If only I had more money becomes, if only I have Christ. And if you truly were content with food and clothing. Imagine what your life could be like. I mean, imagine how grateful you'd feel. Wow, thank you, God, for that incredible meal you just blessed me with, so far above and beyond what I need. And imagine what people would think if you really were content with food and clothing. That's not normal. What would your friends... And co-workers think. It would point them to God, to the source of our contentment, to the one whom we value far above earthly riches. So here's what we've seen in this passage. The main point is the warning. The desire to be rich leads to ruin. The antidote is to be content. And the first key to contentment is to reorient your perspective to what is beyond this life. The second key to contentment is to redefine your goal. We must be content with food and clothing. But here's the problem. It's not so easy. It's a struggle to reorient our perspective. Our hearts are so easily captivated by earthly wealth. And so instead of being content with food and clothing, our hearts cry out, if only I had more money. To one degree or another, we all fall prey to this desire to be rich. And this desire is a root of all kinds of evils. It leads us to sin against others and against God. And for our sin, we deserve the ruin that this passage warns us against. But the good news is that there is one who has borne that ruin on our behalf and who transforms our hearts to be content. Jesus Christ was rich beyond measure. We read later in this passage that from all eternity, he dwelt in unapproachable light. And yet he was content to be born a man. And not just a man. He wasn't born to a king or to a wealthy business person. He was born of a poor woman from Palestine. He was content with simple food and clothing. And he was content. Because during his 30 years on this earth, he never once lost perspective on what is beyond it. When the devil tempted him by showing him all the kingdoms of the world and saying, if you only worship me, all of this could be yours, Jesus replied, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God only. His perspective wasn't set on the glories of this life, but on the glory beyond it. And the good news is that he did all of this for you. The great wonder of Christianity is that Jesus Christ, though he was God, was content to become poor and to bear the wrath that we deserve, that he might give us riches beyond measure? If you have faith in him, your sins are forgiven. And there is a treasure that awaits you that is far greater than anything this life could offer. And as we await that treasure, Jesus has sent us his Holy Spirit to live within us and to transform our hearts to cry out, if only I have. Let's pray. God, teach our hearts to cry out, if only I have Christ. We confess that a love for money has filled our hearts with all kinds of evil. Thank you for sending your Son, rich beyond measure, to live a humble life of obedience That through his death and resurrection, we might not suffer ruin, but take hold of abundant life. By your Holy Spirit, fill us up with the joy of that life here and now. And reorient our hearts to look to the day when we will behold your glory face to face. Give us contentment in you, we ask. Amen.